don't be afraid. I, I would uh, let your feed conversions escalate just a little bit. Feed that lower energy diet because that's going to make you more money. And making more money is a part of sustainability uh, uh, inside of our uh, our industry. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry. One that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swinet Podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative companies like Gestall, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in high-quality, safe, and sustainable way. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Ivonic, we are sciencing the global food challenge. AB Vista, new nutritional perspectives and novel enzyme applications to drive pig production. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Hello, everyone. I'm Laura Greiner, your host for today's SwineNet podcast. And with me today, I have Joe Kearns, who's with Partners for Production Agriculture. Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the program. Thank you. We're excited to have you here today. I know we have a lot of things to talk about. Uh, There's certainly always lots of things going on around the world that influence swine production. But before we get started, maybe for our audience, um, if you could do just a brief introduction about yourself and what you're currently doing, I think that would be great. Sure. Uh, uh, I recently, we just went through a transition here. And so uh, uh, the the company that we had started back in 2008, after being in corporate agriculture for uh, uh, 25 or so years, uh, we recently uh, were acquired by an entity called EverAg. And really what this does, it allows us to leverage a platform of what we do onto a broader spectrum. We were really, really good at the fundamental components of our industry. We were, we were very poor and perhaps behind uh, on the technological side and kind of adding that technological side there, there's a few few transitions that occurred of the why behind the what uh, but i'm really excited to have a broader platform to push against for the application of what we do and that's uh, look out for the best interest of pork producers across the united states wonderful yeah i i heard that acquisition happened i just wasn't sure what our official title was yet today yes <laughs> yep yep and it's we're going to go through trend we'll still be pfp ag for a bit here it'll eventually transition into a broader platform under the ever ag umbrella This episode's sponsored highlight is about Adiseo, a worldwide leader in animal nutrition. Our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions, such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health by nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. Well, that sounds great. And I know you've been um, an integral part of a lot of uh, production companies and and independent producers over the years, doing exactly what you said, helping them figure out where markets are going to go, how to protect themselves against the, the price fluctuations that we anticipate. So let's just go ahead and jump in today. Let's let's first start with the first and foremost thing. Um, I saw a set of diets this morning and there was a little bit of sticker shock. So yeah. let's talk about grain prices and, and where are we headed? 
So, so we've already kind of, you know, that horse has been out of the barn here. Uh, we're, we're trading uh, well over $8 corn in the cash, uh, whether it's central Iowa. It doesn't matter where you go. So uh, I was just before, just before joining in, I was on the phone with an elevator manager uh, who's offering 70 over corn into central Iowa for the summertime. And that's over, that's over the July, and you've got the July Dece inverted by 40 cents. So that's the same thing as, as well over a dollar. And that's in Iowa. We're not talking about Texas or the Carolinas. Carolinas that are accustomed to those type of values. Uh, once you get down there, they're, they're literally $2.70 over. Uh, so we've got a, a freight logistics snafu that we're dealing with. This has been exacerbated, of course, by what's going on over in the Ukraine uh, with the Putin invasion and some uncertainty of, of who's got access to grain when. And it's probably a very natural human reaction that, that we as a society tend to hoard in times during unknowns. And so we're starting to see that mentality play itself out in the grain market and it's manifesting itself into, as a shared corn, over $8 a bushel. New crop corn trading in excess of $7 a bushel. Uh, it's, it's a boon to the U.S. agronomic sector. It's going to be a bit of a challenge for uh, anything dealing with animal agriculture and specifically in the hog market. Yes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And how do we think that's going to look going forward? I know we haven't had a recent USDA crop report, but uh, what's kind of the anticipation for the coming fall? Well, we actually, we just did have a crop report on Friday. It was so generic that, that, that most folk missed it. And it, it basically, uh, we didn't change anything on the production side, made a few tweaks on the demand piece. Uh, but really, the growing season is, is where it'll all come together. Uh, the USDA uses a regression uh, that's a, that's a five-point regression that has an R squared of over 0.96. So these five items really encapsulate uh, what the corn yield looks like. And of that, the vast majority of the emphasis is placed on July precipitation for corn and August precipitation for soybeans. That's not a huge shock. And so we've still got to play that out. Uh, we, are, we are as close to normal as humanly possible as far as planting progress is concerned. We got our first uh, our first bean uh, condition report out last night. We're, we're very close. It's actually a little bit better than average as far as the conditions are, are concerned. Uh, we've got some very warm temperatures over here for the next two weeks, which quite frankly will be welcome given the amount of moisture that we've had. The problem is going to be if this persists past the 4th of July, and this pattern does look like it's set up for that, uh, for this ridging, this ridging system uh, to set itself up in the western corn belt, and we could see a replay of, uh, of what we saw last year. Uh, last year, we got off to a fantastic uh, planting start, had a very even crop, and we were able to sustain some poorer weather during the heart of the growing season. This year, we're a little more uneven, mind you, as far as our start was concerned. And so it'll be even more important, especially after that drawdown of subsoil uh, moisture in the western United States, that we have something that resembles a normal growing season to give us someplace in the neighborhood of 180 bushel uh, national corn yield. And, and Laura, the, the real story isn't even what happens this year. It's what happens two years from now. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, here in a little bit, about the advent of renewable diesel and kind of some of the unintended consequences that are going to be facing um, agriculture with a capital A, both the, both the agronomic side as well as the livestock sector rolling forward here. Mm -hmm, absolutely. And you, you hit the nail on the head. My next question, we were talking about corn and Soybeans, yes, they need the, the mm -hmm. warmer temperature days, and we're getting that now, so we really expect yes. the soybeans to take off. But that is something that we're talking about today in hog production is do we anticipate that the soybean prices are going to plummet? And, and what does that mean for us in terms of, you know, obviously formulation, but of course, long term, if we start using more soybean meal, we don't use as many 
uh, feed great amino acids. Mm -hmm. We have more nitrogen in the manure. Yeah. We have more landmass needs. So let's talk about that a little bit. And let's start with soybeans, and, and then we're going to jump over to fats as well. But let's let's focus on soybeans first. Okay. All right. And and you can't separate soybeans from fat because of the yeah. oil content. Right. So so right. those those two things run uh, uh, in a, in a very consistent fashion. And you you have absolutely properly identified uh, the, the controlling factors here. So let's talk a little bit about this. Is you've got uh, something called 45Q credits uh, that that are uh, carbon sequestering credits that you can you can Google that and look that up. And that's the underpinning of everything that we're seeing. When I say about everything we're seeing, it's this explosion that we've. That that we've witnessed in the processing community's expansion. And this is this is your normal corporates, this is the ADMs and Cargills of the world, but you're also seeing other entities start to enter that frame. We've not seen this, and, I'm, and I mean this literally, is we've been processing beans pretty much the same way since the 1930s. You, you, you give them a hexane bath, you withdraw the oil, uh, you apply a little bit of heat, hexane has a very low boiling point, and so you recover it and, and you, you skim off the crude. It's um, um, not, a, not a hugely scientific process, but it's a, a very predictable one. Um, uh, but, but we've not seen entries of, of A, this many plants in a given time frame, nor the players being as diversified. And every single one of these players is identified with a petroleum company. So it's, whether it's Phillips 66 or Chevron or Marathon Oil, and that's your hint. And this is where it comes back into play on the fat side of it is, is the driving factor of the revenue in order to create renewable diesel. And economically, it does work once you've got these 45Q credits laying behind you. And what, what happens is uh, ostensibly in two years, not only are we going to have just a little too much soybean meal, we're going to have a lot too much soybean meal. To the point where I am under the impression or in, of the belief system uh, that we're going to be feeding soybean meal for the energy value. And in most rations, energy value is roughly 92% of corn on a per ton basis. And just for, for, uh, uh, for your audience, $6 a bushel corn is the same thing as about $200 a ton. Just to kind of get those relationships in your head. Uh, and so that, that would mean that if I'm anywhere close to right, uh, that, that at those type of values, that soybean meal will be trading at less than uh, $200 per ton, which is, uh, you know, if you'd have a, a normal circumstance, that'd be a very welcome situation for animal agriculture and for the pork market, specifically not so much if you're an amino acid provider, because you're going to have, I think, a real tough road to hoe here coming up. Uh, but but it does do exactly as you indicated, is we're going to have more nitrogen loading inside those pits. We're going to need more land for application, and again, it's it's this whole cascading of what I called uh, unintended consequences. I recently had an opportunity earlier this year uh, to be at a meeting in Washington, D.C. with policymakers, and I, I may have shared this with you even, uh, that, that there was two things on the agenda, uh, how to regulate Bitcoin and what to do with carbon markets, and the carbon markets then uh, lead in, into a, you know the larger uh, displacement with inside agriculture, and that's kind of where I identified. Here's what I learned. Nobody has any clue what to do about Bitcoin. And I'm not sure it matters after yesterday. It's lost 60% of its value since the high. Maybe nobody wants to touch it. But the, but the SEC uh, thinks it's an equity. The CFTC thinks it's a commodity. And so both sides are kind of wrestling with that. Uh, but the carbon market situation and its impact on animal agriculture specifically uh, was fascinating. And, and if you, uh, when you run these regressions, you can't just let everything float. You got to hold something steady so you can push against it. And that's why I choose to use. That's why I chose to use at that point in time corn at six dollars a bushel. If I had to redo it again, obviously we'd use much much higher prices. But it all moves in relationship uh, to one another. 
but I do see two years from now specifically. If I'm anywhere close to right, um, uh, domestically, we're going to be producing about 40% more soybean meal than we are right now, of which we can incorporate roughly 20% back into our diets, and we're going to be surplus and have to export uh, the balance of it. We um, uh, logistically in the United States are not set up very well for deep water exports. Some very uh, uh, enterprising companies are building supports as we speak right now, and I think that's very wise on their part. Uh, just a little bit of a statistic is Argentina is the number one exporter of soybean meal across the world. They export about 40% uh, of the world's soybean uh, meal, uh, and we produce we produce uh, about 2x what the crop is in Argentina. So the Argentinians are going to start to get a run for their money here soon just because of our surplus. The, the, the value of the Argentinian peso in relationship to the U.S. dollar favors them not us, but necessity, in my opinion, is going to be what drives our needs. We're, we're going to have to move this product. Um, let me circle back on one other thing here, Laura, is that, is that soybeans are not the most efficient producer of oil. Uh, that if you take a look at, you know, they're about 17% oil or so, canola or some of these, uh, uh, cannellina, some of these other crops would be much more conducive. The problem being, is that the byproduct, the meal product, canola meal or whatever, uh, uh, has some anti-nutritional factors. We as nutritionists generally know what to do with soybean meal, whereas the surplus of these other byproducts uh, wouldn't be utilized, and so therefore the economic benefit backs off. Uh, right now, renewable diesel is constituted by about 50% soybean oil. If I'm anywhere close to right again, in two years, that's going to be about 75%. So we will be a major player uh, in the energy markets for uh, the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the other things I've heard, um, or at least some concern that I've heard out in the field is, is really around, are they going to pull more soybean meal, or sorry, are they going to pull more soy oil out of that soybean meal? Than what they currently are you know again thinking about distillers right we had the distillers process we were probably producing about 10 to 13 percent crude right. fat now we're down to you know four percent or so and so that's the next question is do we think that those methods are going to pull more so then again energy isn't going to be equivalent soybean meal to corn no, so you're exactly right. So let's kind of go through just a little bit of math on this. Is that uh, right now uh, uh, fat is worth someplace in the neighborhood of 75 or 80 cents per pound, uh, whereas a, a pound of uh, of, of soybean, uh, of, let's take DDGs, a pound of DDGs at $200 uh, a ton is, uh, uh, was that five cents a pound is what that's running. So you can see there's the economic motivation for the processor to pull out as much oil as he can. Here's the good news for, for those that are concerned. They're already doing it. The economic incentive is already there. We can get down to a little less than 1% residual oil left in soybean meal, about the same in DDGs, uh, uh, just with some centrifuges. There's two different methods of, of extraction, mind you, that you're utilizing in those processes. But I really don't see it changing. We, we, we are in a low energy feedstuff environment, and we're, going, we're not going backwards, but, but the, as far as those two are concerned, they just they can't get any lower uh, than what they're currently doing. They can add back a little bit of fiber on the on the soybean meal side, but I don't even see that happening. No, and, and certainly that's kind of the approach we're taking is we're, we're as nutritionists thinking about, okay, we've got to go back to fiber. We need to look more at the European mm -hmm. model um, because as you mentioned, fat, fat's 80 cents a, a pound and we do not anticipate that coming down again with this renewable right. diesel project. Okay, so l let's put this in a broader perspective. In 2021, the United States produced 26 billion pounds of soybean oil. 
in two years for renewable diesel commitments that we've got, and this is refineries that have already been built. So, so you've got the, or under construction going to be built is we're going to need about 21 billion pounds. So just give me some rounding air. It's about a one for one, which means we're going to displace every single pound of fat that's utilized in the United States, whether it's McDonald's fries and cooking, whether it's the Crisco on the shelves at the, at the fairway store, it doesn't matter what, or what we put into a swine diet. So everybody is going to be in a dogfight, and these things generally don't in politely that 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 we don't we don't have the rationale of saying hope oh, i can see the end game and you're going to outbid me therefore i'll just step aside huh that's not how it works we sit and fight and fight and fight and then capitulate and give up um so i'm under the impression that the soybean oil price even if you say it's going to settle out at a dollar a pound arbitrarily just making up a number it probably goes to a dollar 50 a pound first before before those struggles uh have that have the economic consequence to bring us down to where equal Liberalized. We, we will swing the pendulum too far, wherever that is. Uh, and, and so I think your producer group thinking about what does a low energy diet look like and do so upfront and kind of internalizing that is a very, very wise decision. Very wise. Absolutely. Well, I think that's very good insight on, on exactly what we're looking at on the crop side. Let's flip over and let's talk about pigs. So let's talk about June hogs and the pig reports and where are we at today? Sure. So if you talk about uh, June hogs are going to be actually going off the board today, so your timing is pretty good. And they're kind of going off with a little bit of a uh, mild thud, I suppose, is we traded up to $120 per hundred weight. We, we pulled back to less than 100 and we're going to close uh, 108 plus or minus uh, someplace in, the, in that neighborhood. Um, uh, the March hogs and pigs report would have indicated that we start to get some thinning numbers here as far as harvest is concerned uh, over the next couple months. The, as you stated, the June data was collected over the past two weeks here will be presented with that at the end of the month and I'm expecting kind of a wash rinse repeat of the exact same thing where, where our, our, our sow herd is uh, is not growing uh, much if any whatsoever our, uh, our production difficulties that we've had uh, outside of the farrowing barn continue to plague us across many different enterprises geographically it doesn't matter it, you know once you get into those hog intense areas of northwest Iowa or the I-90 corridor in Minnesota you kind of learn to live with that but we're seeing this across um, a larger geographic influence. I say that because I would I still fully anticipate that we're going to see hog kills of less than 2.3 million head per week in the month of July and, and rolling into August, uh, which which probably leads to a little bit of optimism as far as the price outlook is concerned uh, from where we sit right now. Now, it sure doesn't feel like it. Um, you know, we were talking before you started the recording here about what's going on with the stock market that just got slapped around silly yesterday. Um, and and it tried to rebound early today and just can't get its feet underneath it. And to think that we're not getting some negative pressure coming back from, from the, uh, uh, the sentiment inside the equity market would, I, would I think be a little short sighted. Um, uh, pork should represent a very fine value competitively. Uh, the world feels like it's dissolving here when we've got a, you know, 20 plus percent off on, on the S and P's, but we're not, we're still the, the wealthiest nation ever. And, and uh, uh, the vast majority of folks, are going to do fine, and pork should find some footing even in, in, in a kind of a, a, a more compressed type of economic environment rolling forward here. So 
June Hogs and Pigs report, I'm not expecting any fireworks. I, I would think that you would see some plus or minuses in, a, in an incredibly narrow range. And by the way, coming out of COVID, boy, is that ever welcome. Because during those times, we had no clue where things were going to be. And so boring is actually good in, the, in this particular case. I'm okay with boring. Uh, but I would see uh, some opportunity for price appreciation, especially given the cost of production, is we're not seeing a whole bunch of expansion, um, uh, ASF at the doorstep, uh, unknowns as far as Prop 12 is concerned we have we have a very uh, uh, tepid environment for aggressive uh, expansion I do think you're going to see some replacement and I wouldn't even call it net expansion per se uh, and then and, and then focusing on herd health is I think the next biggest challenge of the industry absolutely what about so of course summer hogs we usually get a higher price and as you mentioned uh, numbers are down what are we looking at for third and fourth quarter this year well, I still, so I'm, I'm still optimistic. So uh, uh, a lot of us travel up to the Wisconsin Dells in the middle of July for the NPIC meeting, and that seems to kind of be the top of the market. And I think we're going to see a repeat of that. That's going to be kind of our uh, uh, the third week of July or so would be our thinnest harvest week, probably uh, hangs in there uh, through the month of August. Uh, a replay back to $120 plus is not out of the question uh, by any means whatsoever. And even coming into the fall, uh, we probably start participating in some protection uh, at $95 and above in the October and kind of holding ourselves together. Keep in mind, you know, $95 hogs in October, traditionally, you'd say, oh, you know, that's unheard of. Well, that's, uh, we're going to be encroaching on cost of production uh, very, very soon. I'm not taking a look at Lee, Lee Schultz's model here recently, but we've got to be uh, $0.90 cents plus uh, on a carcass weight uh, uh, for the average producer, uh, if not maybe even for the good producer. So I think that uh, and a, a dollar is not what it used to be. Dollar hogs, we've only traded June hogs. Guys, we've only taken June hogs off at over a dollar twice before what's going to happen today. So we got to kind of keep these things in perspective. We, we, are, we are in positive markets. Our input costs are mitigating some of our profits. Uh, but but I, I want to keep everything in perspective. And that's really what we've been advising our clientele to do is during times of margin management, when, when we've got so many unknowns that are playing out in the world of when you get an opportunity to hedge a profit. And I, I'm a huge fan of the insurance program that's subsidized by the government in combination with some option strategies is I think that we owe it to ourselves to take advantage and, and to shrug and, and admit, I don't know that there are so many moving parts that I don't know. Um, uh, when I was down at World Pork Expo, we had a little bit of an interview and I challenged the group. I said, if, if you would identify what is the most important market moving factor that you have, whether it's uh, when the Ukrainian-Russian situation is going to be over and how it ends, uh, whether it's uh, what U.S. production is going to be, and you had that one snippet of information that you deemed to be the most important, would you bet on it? You know, huge sums of money, and the answer had better be no. The answer had better be, I'd place a couple shackles out there, mind you, but I'm not going to bet my, my 401k or my life savings on that one nugget simply because there are so many moving parts and they shift about who is taking center stage at any one given point in time. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you alluded a little bit there to risk management. I think it's a really good discussion point. You talked about hedges and options, of course. And, um, and so let's talk a little bit about that, because obviously we're talking about raising production costs, maybe some, you know, obviously um, holding steady on the prices, maybe a little bit of fluctuation in the fall to to maybe hit right at cost of production, possibly not a profit there in the fall. So let's talk about what we can do to try to mitigate some of that that's coming. 
Well, I think that you kind of summarized it there. It's it's understanding what is my cost of production relative to that forward curve of revenue and then instituting uh, those practices. I, uh, earlier, I just referenced what goes on with the insurance side of it. And for those the listeners that you have that have not participated, I would highly encourage them uh, to take a look at the insurance programs. They, they've been around for quite some time. They're administered by the uh, same agency that does crop insurance. And, and uh, most of us are very comfortable with that. The way that they're calculated is very different. So I, I want you to, uh, to to have someone that understands options, because if you don't understand agricultural options, you really don't understand insurance. Uh, the beauty of it is it's subsidized up to about 50% is, is where kind of the sweet spot is relative to the cost of an option. And, and you don't pay for it until after you market your animals. So it's a cash flow consideration. It is a wonderful, wonderful tool. Uh, the, the dairy guys had this for the past two or three years. Uh, hogs in the, in the cattle sector picked it up in 2020. There's some enhancements that are going to take place in July of this year that make it even better. So the tools at our avail are coinciding with the time frame where we really, really need them. And that's, that's, that's not a normal thing. Normally we have a crisis, then a response. Um, we actually have the response to the crisis happening uh, coincidentally. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing for, for pork producers. Absolutely, I agree. The other thing that um, while we're talking about markets and, and certainly pig pricing that I heard a lot of discussion while I was at Expo was really around the pork cutouts and what's the future of this and where do we think it's going to go? Well, it's fascinating because the pork cutout came out with a lot of fanfare. And let's back up just a wee bit. Is we rolled out the pork cutout back in 2020 in the throes of COVID, and the logic before that uh, was that uh, that the, the CME took a look at the volume, and and most of of the lean hog volume that we have is concentrated into the first three months. Uh, we're, we're relatively short-term hedgers. Um, food service was clamoring for something six to 12 months into the future. And they thought, well, how about this? You know, we've got this nearby issue. Uh, if we combine that with something that's looking for a little bit longer term, that these two can can work in conjunction and, and not pirate from one another. Throw in COVID and suddenly nobody has any forward projection that, that is worth a hill of beans. And, and I don't blame uh, the food service guys for not participating, nor do I uh, directly blame the CME. I think the timing was absolutely pathetic uh, in order to put that together. The contract itself is solid. The contract itself, it's good cash settlement. It, it's uh, going to be familiar with pork producers that it coincides with the months that we already trade um, uh, that, that line up with the lean hog uh, trade. Also, the problem is the volume is that we just have not seen the participation. Uh, we've got something called market makers that are generally paid in order to put a bid ask spread together that's relatively tight. That seems like it could use a little bit of improvement also from the CME. But the bottom line is that, that our level of participation Participation, uh, even at its peak, was somewhat less than than overwhelming. Um, and even when I was uh, you know, was taking a look at it coming downstairs, is we we've got zero volume in the June today. Now it is a cash settlement, so it's not going to be a crisis, mind you, as far as the settlement is concerned. But we've seen very very low volumes uh, on a consistent theme. Um, whereas um, 
I want to say open interest yesterday on the June uh, port cutout contract was 360 contracts and where the, the lean hog contract was over 10,000. So it kind of gives you a feel of the magnitude of participation. So um, as long as we've got open interest, the, the CME cannot shut down uh, those those particular uh, contracts. Uh, we had uh, a pre-World Pork Expo uh, event and we did have a representative from the CME there and they, they're reaffirming their commitment to the contract. Contract. And I would encourage uh, uh, your listeners, if they have a cutout-based price discovery tool, that they, they continue to participate. Um, uh, here's what I don't want them to have a fear of. I put on a contract, and all of a sudden the CME says it is no longer. They can't do that. They can't do that. So you're going to have to have convergence. There's not a delivery piece uh, that's associated with it. It's a cash settlement. Uh, and so I think that you can enter into these with uh, a fair assumption that your financial risks are going to be covered. But uh, uh, in direct answer to your question, as you posed it, uh, the, the poor cutout has been disappointing. And maybe, maybe I could use a few more adjectives, but we'll just leave it with that one. Yeah, we'll just leave it there. Yeah. Um, you So you just threw out a word for me, Joe, or a phrase there that maybe we should talk a little bit more about. You use the word price discovery. Yeah. So it, as producers are using price discovery. So let's talk a little bit about price discovery, how you view it, what's good about it, what's maybe not so good about it. Uh, so, so let's let's talk about what's been troublesome to our industry, and that is uh, that we use this, uh, uh, you know, kind of almost open outcry side of it on the negotiated piece in order to price everything else that's on a formula. And, and uh, through nobody's fault, when we went through some very difficult times, specifically 1998, uh, that uh, that if you wanted money for an operation, you were more than likely going to have a contract that did not uh, reference something that was going to be Iowa Southern Minnesota. Minnesota, uh, negotiated. You were going to be a, a Western Corn Belt Plus at the bare minimum, uh, maybe a, a cutout contract uh, that, that were becoming in vogue at that point in time uh, with mandatory price reporting, uh, a basis contract, there's cost of production contracts, uh, and they've, they've all kind of rolled around. Once, once we hit a saturation of shackle space, these open market discovery contracts have proven to be very, very troublesome for the pork production industries. We, we saturate out the shackles, and uh, again, this is not not nefarious this is just economic reality that the packer doesn't need any extra hogs and so we push down the, the, the market signal is very is very compressing as far as price is concerned uh, and then then that price is the other 97% of the market so we've had thin volume uh, they, they've been uh, uh, relatively compressed as far as uh, the price discovery re uh, relative to another methodology mind you up until recently so once we've got shackle space and pig supply in uh, what seems to be a pretty good balance. As a matter of fact, I'd argue that, uh, that, that that we're short pigs, and I think you can prove that out given that we're trading $120 pigs in the cash and you got the cutout at 108 That's That's not a great long-term solution. It might feel really good for a little bit of period of time, but we as an industry need the packing side also to remain profitable uh, to continue on here. So there's got to be some level of give and take uh, inside here. I'm still a fan of the cutout contract long-term, of indexing our future to what the meat side of it is, and then relying on uh, the National Pork Board and the National Pork Producers Council in order to look out for our best interests. And both of those groups, I think, do an excellent, excellent job for pork producers. 
But I think that's where we're going to have to shift to. Uh, and, and uh, uh the, you know, the, what we just talked about, the port cutout uh, contract being less than heavily participated makes that a difficult shift. But I would still encourage folk uh, to take a look, whether it's cost of production, depending upon what your, um, uh, what your finances look like, uh, a basis contract, depending upon your comfort level with, with Chicago Mercantile Exchange processes, or a cutout contract, that there's some mix inside there uh, that, that should should remain viable. Here, here would be my caution. If you're on a Western Corn Belt or an Iowa Southern Minnesota market, it might feel really, really good right now. But I, but I think there's some trepidation and some danger that will occur if we ever start to see a shift of animal supply relative to shackle space. And even um, uh, when you had the Smithfield announcement earlier this week uh, that they're going to be shutting down that Los Angeles uh, facility, that is a loss of shackle space in our industry. So that's kind of a, a little word of caution. I don't think that one's going to be near as important if it would have been something more central in the United States. Uh, but but um, uh, just numerically is we are going to be losing shackle space relative to our animal supply. Now, it doesn't occur, I want to say, for another six months or so. It's sometime in 2023 when that occurs, but you can kind of see the writing on the wall. Yeah, absolutely. We have time for one more question, and, and I really want to kind of wrap this up. We've talked a lot about pricing and shadowing and, and where we're going in terms of forecasting, but let's talk just briefly about what you view as the key metrics, if you will, or, or the key things that um, pork producers do to be successful relative to others in, in the group of, of pork production. So we're not, we're not going to get too far off the beaten path here. Um, uh, and I think it's the revenue side is the driver. And let, let's put this in perspective. Um, I went through an exercise recently and said, what happens if we double the price of corn, that it goes from uh, $7 to $14. And, and what does that mean? Well, the, you know, that's about a $70 per hog negative coming back to you. Uh, what happens if we double the price of soybean meal? Uh, that's, that's about another $35 or so. Well, what happens if we double the price of hogs? That's, that's $200 more that you get. And so just to kind of put all of this stuff in, mag, in, in magnitude of, in, in an ordinal fashion, if we get the revenue side of our industry right, is the the most critical component and if you don't you can do you can be almost perfect in every other segment and still not do well it doesn't matter what your fairing rate is or what your feed conversion is that if you're not getting the revenue you're probably not going to be long-term successful and so i um i i i beat the drum on this one it's not just because the industry that that uh, that, that i get to deal with all the time as far as the future side of it but also economically it just it mathematically proves itself out that the best producers are the ones that are getting the most money for their for their product it it, the price of corn falls definitely in the t in the top ten someplace, but but if you if you said I had to be right on one market, I take the hog market every single day, several times over, um, is really where that's at. And then we've got to be our our animal husbandry skills inside the barn, our our, our paying attention to what's going on as far as changes. You, you initiated this with uh, the soybean meal, the lack of oil that's coming at us. Don't be afraid. I would let your feed conversions escalate just a little bit. Feed that lower energy diet because that's going to make you more money. And making more money is a part of sustainability uh, uh, inside of our uh, our industry. Mm -hmm. Perfect. I think that's a beautiful summary of especially of what we've talked about today. It is time to our famous three. Celebrating its 25th anniversary, Gestahl manufactures the original wireless standalone swine feeding system. 
designed by pork producers for pork producers. They are simple, reliable, and provide peace of mind 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. Gestal is not just manufactured by an equipment company, but by a family pork production business with a slat level understanding. Gestal, always one step ahead in swine feeding. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. So I'm going to kind of jump over now, Joe, to, to some more of our infamous questions that we like to ask our, our guest speakers. The first one is, is, do you have a swine resource or a reference that you would encourage producers to look at? Uh, you know, we have some readily available stuff, uh, even 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 uh, the DLR that comes out. I think those guys do an excellent job of providing uh, a short recap, a one page and easy read. Uh, we push out stuff to our client base on a daily basis. And I'm going to give a shout out to one of our gentlemen, Steve Ring, uh, who gets up at 3.30 in the morning to start doing market research and putting items together uh, for the clients that we get to work with. So I think you've got a, a myriad of resources that, that you're that that your readers and viewers uh, get to have access to. I don't think there's just one thing, uh, but, but it's paying attention to the influence of macro markets on what it means to our markets also and keeping these things contextualized and then seeking out help in order to, to put, uh, you know, kind of some, some weighting on individual events and what that means to a producer's bottom line. Mm -hmm. Perfect. How about something that's not related to pigs? Are there any resources or books that you'd recommend? Uh, I'm I'm an avid reader of the Wall Street Journal every single month. By the way, I still get the paper edition given uh, <laughs> I am a child of the 80s, perhaps. So uh, that's still, but we, uh, I, I still think being being cognizant of world events, availing yourself to people that, that don't look or think like you do on a routine basis. Uh, it was funny because the weekend after World Pork Expo, we had a big party out at the house. And then that next weekend, we had 17 Harley riders in from various parts of the world. And it was fascinating. It, it was very fatiguing mind you I was happy I was happy when everybody was gone uh, but it was also availing yourself just just to somebody that doesn't look or think like you uh, it might make you a little uncomfortable and that's probably a hint from from inside you that you need to open up your world to make it just a little bit bigger than, than perhaps what it was uh, you know from from a business book perspective I'm a huge fan of uh, Angela Duckworth wrote a, a book called grit um, and maybe because it resonates with me you don't have to be the smartest one in the room you just have to keep Keep trying and keep going. Um, by the way, I was uh, somewhat less than a 3.5 student at Iowa State University, so that uh, uh, I, I like it that that you can overcome the lack of intellect with uh, with just the determination, the staying power. Well, uh, you're definitely viewed as a very smart individual, well, Joe. So I, I wouldn't let that GPA be held <laughs> against you for any reason. Well, the last question we like to ask is is really around if you can think of somebody in your life that you've defined as successful. What's a key trait that they've had that you think's allowed them to be successful? So I'd, I'd have to point toward, uh, I think, our mutual friend, Dr. Howard Hill. And uh, Dr. Hill and I uh, worked together at Iowa Select for several years, a great educational opportunity. Um, Howard is well regarded uh, not only for his financial prowess, if they call that success, but I think he's a life success uh, in the way that he holds himself, the way that he is a, a teacher and a mentor. And Howard will stop into the office maybe once a month or so. And he is never afraid to say, I don't know. 
you know, tell me about this. How does this work? And, and, and we'll walk through things. The other part that uh, I think makes Howard very, very successful is uh, every time he comes into the office, we'll have breakfast. And every time he comes in, I pay for it. Howard doesn't spend any of his own money. So uh, uh, that uh, he, he's done well generating uh, uh, all kinds of income and then holding on to it, too. And, and uh, uh, he will deploy it for those that he loves. He, he takes very good care of his family. Um, he is a, a genuine uh, a, a lifelong learner and lifelong teacher, and uh, uh, I love him dearly. I think he's great. Absolutely. That's a great one. I really yeah. appreciate that, Joe. Well, we, we do want to thank you for your time. I know as, as you got on, you're pretty swamped today with some different things, but again, um, great insight, very valuable information. We appreciate the time that you had with us today. And for our audience, just a reminder, this is Joe Kearns, who's with the um, Partners for Production Agriculture, or now Ever Ag. Thank you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Dr. Greiner. Imagine if with a few key concepts, you could have the potential to create a massive positive impact for swine producers. Join this small group and go to the next level of nutrition on this online training in applied swine nutrition and feeding by Dr. Marcio Gonsalves and his world-class invited swine nutritionists. Additionally, you will enjoy an exclusive community to network and exchange ideas. Go now to EliteSwineNutritionist.com.